Now on Netflix. Inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and in select theaters. Rated R. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Trigger warning. This podcast discusses themes centered around emotional, physical, and sexual violence. While the stories of the survivors are meant to be inspiring and informative, listener discretion is advised. If you are struggling with any of the aforementioned issues, links to resources can be found in the show notes of today's episode. Well, I chose to speak, and it's partly why I wrote the book that I did and, and, and I did the podcast that I did, because everybody has had an opportunity to speak about my story, about my family, about my brother, about our case, our trial, our, you know, trauma. And so why should I not have an opportunity to take my voice back and to take control back and to speak on my terms? And the fact that I get accused of exploiting my brother's death or wanting my 15 minutes of fame, and I'm like, you've been consuming my life for almost 30 years. Hi, Survivors. I'm Tara Newell. And I'm Collier Landry. And this is the Survivor Squad Podcast. Yay! Another episode down. Yes, another episode. And this this week, Tara, we have, well, we have a guest that's been through it. And, and, and she was also in the Vice documentary with us, right? Yes, she was. And I wasn't expecting that at first because she wasn't our direct contact at first and then i found her on twitter and then in an email when i approached her to come on survivor squad she let me know that ani said amazing things about us and vouched for us so i was like oh ani i assume she's in the documentary now (laughs) and you know who are you talking about by the way Oh, our guest is Kim Goldman. Her brother, Ronald Goldman, was murdered by O.J. Simpson, along with Nicole Simpson. And it's a very tragic story. You know it more so. Well, you knew it from the start. And I knew it from a different perspective. You know, this happened when I was, so what was it, 1994? We're coming up on 30 years of this. I mean, I remember I watched the the Bronco chase with, and I didn't really know a lot about who OJ Simpson was. I mean, I knew because my mother used to say, do your best OJ Simpson when we would run through the, um, when we would run through the airports and this would be my, my, my birth mother, Noreen, who was murdered. Um, she would say, do your OJ Simpson when we run through the airport. Cause there was a very famous, I believe it was an American express commercial in the eighties of OJ jumping over luggage in the, in the airport to get, to make his flight. So she would allude to this and, you know, he was in like air, airplane, I believe, and, or naked gun, I think Maybe not airplane, but naked gun with Leslie Nielsen. And so I knew him as like kind of a celebrity. I didn't know who he was as far as a sports star. I can just remember watching that Bronco chase and we were glued to the television. I mean, I was in high school. I mean, this is, 
my small town of Mansfield, Ohio, and everyone I knew was talking about this thing. But I didn't grow up out here. I can't even imagine because this happened right down the street from where I currently live in Brentwood. It, I remember when it first came out here, I met someone who lived in Brentwood and he was OJ's neighbor. Like he took me to the house and there was just, there were people outside of it. It was like a tourist attraction. I just thought oh, wow. this is, this is insane. It's interesting your perspective and then my perspective with the yeah. 10 year difference because yeah. I grew up thinking of this guy as such a bad guy because he asked, well, I thought my mom was more involved because I was too young to really understand dynamics of things and like who she was talking about. And she had so much anger towards this person yeah, because of what happened to my mom's sister even. Yes. And my mom's sister was dating Marcus Allen at the time, which was OJ's friend or whatever. He was like a homeboy, his homie, yeah. yeah. So there was a lot of anger towards this. And I thought my mom was more involved than she was because I didn't know really. And I think that's so important to kind of I mean, you were a little about... kid. You were a little kid. Yeah. Just, just so no, everyone realizes yeah. you were like five years old. So you didn't know any better. <laughs> yeah, I was a little kid, but I grew up with this belief. And I think that that's so interesting that anyone at a young age hearing about a true crime case may not know everything about that true crime case and how it's even more important to listen to the survivors. I remember when the verdict came down. I mean, this was the trial of the century, really. And yeah. um, at least in the United States, I mean, it, well, it gripped the entire entire world. I, it, it's just become an iconic piece of American culture. I mean, look, even the you know the Kardashians' empires is sort of spawned from this because of Robert Kardashian's role in in defending O.J. Simpson. So much of this has just really permeated our culture. And and you know, next year we're coming up on the 30th anniversary of all of this, which obviously trudges up a lot of stuff for Kim. Yeah, it just permeated our entire culture. But you know what? We're not here to talk about this. Let's let's hear Kim's story. What do you think? Yeah. So let's get into it. Let's do it. you both have managed to do something positive um hate that but positive in light of of your trauma so hats off to both of you for your tenacity well thank you you too i'm like i love the work that you do with organizations and that you really like your work work is with charities right um my work work so um my the one that pays my bills. Um, yes, um, <laughs> that one. <laughs> that one. Well, I I was um, I ran a um, a nonprofit organization um, for sixteen years um, that provided mental health to teenagers um, that were abused and neglected and um, suicidal and depressed and um, bullied and every dealing with substance abuse, LGBTQ um, population, etc. Um, but we closed during the pandemic, unfortunately, um, after we were open, we were celebrating our 20th year of being of service. Um, and, uh, I am currently 
on the unemployed list, um, uh, but it does allow me to do a lot of the volunteer work that I like to do. I uh, sit on the board for the National Center of Victims of Crime, which um, has been really important to me for a long time. And then, um, you know, I was able to do my podcast and some other personal things that um, need attending to after not being able to focus on when you're working to pay your mortgage. <laughs> so, right. For sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, before that, was working with people with developmental disabilities. Um, uh, I did work with um, AIDS research and breast cancer um, research. And um, so, yeah, the better part of my adulthood has been um, in the nonprofit sector, for sure. I love that. That's, yeah. you know, it shows you have a good heart when you choose that as a career. It does. It also shows that I don't care about... <laughs> my book, my financial status and all of those things. But, um, yeah. but no, I, uh, I was, uh, I was in one of those weird kids that wanted to be a therapist from the time I was six. And so, um, I'm kind of wired to be, um, a do-gooder, uh, and I don't know how to not do that, um, which I'm totally fine with. Um, but it does make for a, a harder path sometimes for sure. Yeah. Yes, it does. We, yeah. we are both fully aware of that. They don't, they don't compensate the good guys, do they? No, no. And I, I, you know, it's, I, I, it's funny to me, um, in the last couple of months that I've been really hard at looking for work, um, the, uh, are we recording? We're recording. Yeah. Okay, good. Um, some of the feedback that I get is it's interesting, um, because it doesn't allow me to have any, uh, anonymity, um, from a part of my life. Um, I get judged based on one element of my life as I'm trying to pivot in another. Um, I've been turned down for jobs because people think that I should be doing victims work on a more, uh, consistent basis. Um, I'm like more than the 30 years. So I come, I'm really trying here <laughs> to have some balance. It's unbelievable, isn't it? Yeah. It's unbelievable. Um, isn't it? I get, you know, and it's weird because I, you know, people, you guys included, they, they know our stories, they have assumptions, they have their beliefs, whatever it is. And I'm as honest as honest can be. There's no bullshit. And I couldn't anyway, because my life is available on Google. So yeah, exactly. um, <laughs> I don't, I, I dropped out of college in my last semester to move home into my dead brother's bedroom. So I can't lie about getting a degree, which I would never do anyway, but there's that stamp on my, on my book of disappointment that she couldn't even finish college. Like, you know, I can't, I'm being very facetious in that because I'm fine with that decision. Um, but you know, it's just, it's hard in this stage. Um, I can't get away from my life and I don't want to, but it's really hard to blend and merge. And I don't want to spend 24 hours of my day working on victims issues. Like I need to, and not to say it's not important, but I need to find balance in my life that I can reserve time for when I want to show up in that space and be a hundred percent myself because it's a lot to give of yourself, as you guys know, being working in the victim space. Um, and I want to be able to have that choice. Um, and I think for people, they don't understand why I want that. And I'm like, I hope you never have to, but this is where I'm at. And like, I, I want to be able to do this work over here, which helps, you know, kids in foster care or, you know, people that are suicide. Like I, I have that to give. I just don't want to be immersed in one world all the time. And so, um, it's just interesting. I, haven't had to face this in 16 years. So this is a whole new experience and is weird. It was a weird, 
Yeah. It's, but it's so well said. And I'm so glad you said it just how you did, because that I think is the thing that people really get lost with. And people, I don't know if they want to, I don't know if entitled would be the right word, but they certainly become very indignant when you can't focus your time on them. And, and when you try to explain to people, you know, I realize that you've reached out to me and you're looking for answers and I'm, and my heart goes out to you, but there's also 500 other messages from today alone yeah. <laughs> of people looking for answers. And I can't physically do, I can't physically do that anyways, but yeah. I can't, I can't survive and thrive. And then, and then, <laughs> or people, you know, Tara and I do coaching, right? And just even when we talk to people, they say, well, I can't afford coaching, but can you talk to me for half an hour about how I should deal with my, the murder of my, of my father, you know, or, or right. a friend or whatever, what, what are some steps that I can do? And I'm like, yeah, you can, <laughs> like, I can't do that. For, I can't sit here and devote my time to this. I, I, I'll be on the street. <laughs> yeah. I think, you know? you know, that's, you know, in a, in a, in a different world, um, because, our family was awarded a judgment. Um, people yes. think that I was handed a check on that yes. day. <laughs> I, yes. I had to explain that to Tara, actually. She goes, you they had that lawsuit. I said, I don't think they ever got any money. No, no, um, no. Um, and so, you know, I think that people assume that because there was an, a, an award made that you literally walk out of there with a check and um, they don't understand and why would they? Um, but they don't understand that, you know, we have to actively pursue that judgment and that takes time and money. Um, and um, that is not an easy process, especially when you have someone like we do that um, had a team of attorneys that hid all of his assets and um, protected anything that we were eligible to require, um, we were not able to do. So, um, there is an assumption that my dad and I are multimillionaires and that everything we do, we get paid for and that um, we're greedy and money hungry. And um, I exploit my brother's crime from my own financial gain. And um, I can tell you, I have $82 in my checking account today. Um, like, it's not what people think. Like, this yeah. is a hard life. I do much of what I do because it's important and it's right. And I want to continue connecting and sharing, um, but I also have the right to earn a living. I also have a right to not have to justify why it's okay that I want to be paid for my time um, and that um, me asking for a donation um, or you know, um, $500 for me to pick up my life and travel across the country to be a keynote speaker <laughs> somewhere is acceptable. Everybody else yes. does it. <laughs> yeah. I don't understand. That's, <laughs> that's, that's it's so, that is such that. We call your, I want to correct you first though. I didn't say that exactly to him. I was texting him as I was reading or listening to your book. And I was like, they had a case against him. They won. Oh, they didn't get any of the money. It was like that. <laughs> it's <laughs> just fine. like, you I, know, that's, okay. <laughs> that's all right. I, yeah. the, the whole point was, is, was that it's the public sentiment, right? I mean, yeah. when I was, I was in Ohio when this happened. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I mean, this was obviously big national news. Right. And that's the first thing that I that I thought, and I was 
15 years old at the time, I think, 16. Yeah. It's <clears throat> the first thing I thought. I was like, oh, then they got to go get it. Yeah. Because I just remember what happened with my father. And my father was a doctor and there was a wrongful death suit filed against him. And, um, but that money. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. The majority of it mysteriously disappeared. <laughs> and yeah. uh, But there was four attorneys involved. Yeah. And, and yeah. there's a lot of things that, that happen. But I, I think, you know, just to stick on the civil case for a second, you know... Um, the accusations um, about and the assumptions about our motives for doing that um, always centered around money. And while um, I understand it because that's what civil justice comes down to is punitive and compensatory damages. That is the only punishment in the civil system is financial. Yeah. Like I, I didn't write that. I didn't create that, but that was the only path for us to be able to hold him responsible. And as a result of holding him responsible, he was punished and he was punished with a financial punishment. So the choice for my dad and I to continue to pursue that is because we want him to be punished for what he did. It isn't sure. about lining my pockets. It's about no, punishing yeah. him for his actions, which 12 people unanimously decided he was responsible for. If we did not continue to pursue him, he would not be punished. So if yeah. anybody, regardless of the situation, you want people to pay for what they've done. That's why you sue your insurance company. That's why you sue for wrongful determination, whatever. That's why we have yes. the ability to sue people. And there's laws created around that because that's how our system works. You do something wrong. If you're held accountable, you have to pay for it, whether it's in prison or by damages. Like I can't, I didn't, I didn't do, I didn't write that. Right. And so no. the, 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 the negative feedback that we got from that was really hard. And my dad and I deflected for a really long time. I'm like, it's not about that. It's not about that. And then about 10 years in, I'm like, you know what? Fuck it. It is kind of about that because this guy's living large, gloating and floating his luxurious life, literally telling us I'm not going to work a goddamn day in my life to pay the Goldman's anything. And so I'm like, you know what? I do want to make that guy pay. I want to take him for every dime he has to, like, and I'm like, and that's okay too. But my gosh, the hate mail that I get for that, I'm like, okay, well, you don't want me to collect on a judgment. You don't want me to speak because I shouldn't be getting money for that. What the fuck do you want me to do? I didn't ask for this life. I'm really just trying to feed my face, feed my kid and sleep with a roof over my head. Yeah. In the face wow. of everybody having judgment about me. So I'm sorry. Like I'm doing the very best I can here, you know, like. And it's hard because people, they have their judgments. I understand it. People have their criticism. I understand it. But unless you've walked at a tense in my shoes, you don't get to pass it on me. I have it, but let me, I'm over here. I'm not bothering anybody. Nothing I'm doing is bothering anybody. Just, just me. Mind my business. Right. 
It's walking a tightrope on a razor blade. Yeah, and I and I listen. I'm almost thirty years into this, so I I have learned. I have learned to not entirely care anymore. But I I am also somebody who is sensitive, and I get my ego bruised and I get wounded, and I still care. You know, in my core, how people view me and my dad and I have really, um, you know, been very focused on doing the right thing always and being and living our life with integrity. And so it's hard when people misjudge or have misguided um, perceptions or assumptions about us because I can't do anything about it. Like it's just, it's all over the place and I can't correct it. And that's hard because people, you know, are keyboard warriors and um, yeah. Yeah. And they, can, and, they can hide, <laughs> and they can hide behind the veil of social media. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. You know, I I, I made a film, uh, a documentary about what happened. And my father wrote a very scathing letter to people saying, he made a million and a half dollars. And I told someone, I said, if my father can find that million and a half dollars, I will split it with him with a smile on my face. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> because it is nowhere approaching anywhere in that stratosphere. Yeah. And you know what? And, uh, and the truth is, so what? so what if it is? I mean, the truth is somebody else would come along and do it. I mean, this but is somebody else does go along and do it yeah. in the case of terror story yeah. and does make that kind of money. Oh, trust me. And well, and then, and you know, it, Kim's story is exactly we're getting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And yeah. it's it's podcasts and it's television series and it's documentaries and it's and it it's one of the impetuses why we started this show was to highlight this like why are we not why are we so quick to to latch on to the narrative of the perpetrator mm-hmm. <laughs> or 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 I you know make them into uh, you know um, it becomes messiatic at a certain point with some people, right? When you look at people like serial killers, for example, but then you see the real impact on the victims that are just trying to just literally make it and the survivors that surround the victims and the yeah. families, yeah, the ancillary victims, the non-combat PTSD, all the things that, you know, when people make these into television series, people find Kim Goldman on Facebook and then start sending her nasty messages based yes, on a television do. show that yeah. you have nothing to do with. Yeah. 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 And opinions that I don't necessarily share, beliefs that I've never expressed. Um, I get, you know, I, I mean, I, I I tell it often because it still happens. I get weekly emails by somebody who I have blocked his email, but he just gets new ones and sends me weekly emails Um totally harassing and stalking me and i can't do anything about it because i he just keeps changing his email so it comes in and i'm like i don't know the email address and i'm like oh okay there he is and then you know block and then a couple weeks later another one and so what i I have one of those two now yeah i i can't escape it i mean and then i i now i then i got somebody sending me text messages i'm like how did you get my phone number like and that person started, I'm like, wait a minute, now he's got two people. Like I can't. Yeah. And wow. it's not kind. It's not, it's not thoughtful. No. It's not sensitive. It's nasty and it's hateful. And I, I, I'm like, why are you engaging me in this, this diatribe? Like I, I don't go do your thing. Like, I don't want any part of this, you know? And I can't stop people from doing that. You know, we are, I, I also choose to put myself in, in the public 
on my own terms and I understand what I open myself up to when I put myself out there. But I also don't think that I should be on the receiving end of such hate mail. And so when I try to put my boundaries up and to block and to not engage, I want that to be respected because I don't come into your home and do that. Like, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't understand. <laughs> so, and I didn't do anything. I, I, I literally didn't do anything except you just, didn't do anything. I didn't do anything. Well, nothing. Yeah. Nothing. And so, <laughs> yeah, no, I think it's also crazy too that like, you know, you were thrown into this also in a sense where it became so public. It was a public figure who was the killer in a sense. And so that made this case public. And, you know, I don't know anyone that doesn't know this case, to be honest. Right. And so, like, I think that there is a sense that, like, you chose to speak, but you were thrown into it in a sense because you didn't ask for this to happen to you. Well, I chose to speak and it's partly why I wrote the book that I did and and, and I did the podcast that I did because everybody has had an opportunity to speak about my yeah. story, about my family, about my brother, about our case, our trial, our, you know, trauma. And so why should I not have an opportunity to take my voice back and to take yeah. control back and to speak on my terms? And the fact that I get accused of exploiting my brother's death or wanting my 15 minutes of fame. And I'm like, you've been consuming my life for almost 30 years. And I'm the one that you're coming after uh, for uh, wanting uh, to, to speak about my own existence that you have judgment on, then you're contacting me about to pass judgment on. Like, do you understand the irony of that? Like, wait yeah. a minute, you consume no, it don't. and turn it on and off without blinking an eye. I am inundated with shit all day long. <laughs> I don't get to turn it on and off. Like, give me a break. <laughs> it's interesting when these people will they'll say you're obsessed with this and then they'll write you an email that's 40 paragraphs yeah. of all these things that they've watched about your story right, right. or your interviews and you're like and i'm i'm sorry i'm obsessed yeah with telling my story to right. someone that's my story that you didn't live through right and then and you've now you've consumed uh, you know from my my new email pen pal friend uh, who keeps changing their email address, they just broke down a, like a series of videos to me. Of, and, and I'm thinking, and then they're over the course of several days. So I'm right. like, you've been stewing on this for <laughs> days and days. Yeah. And I'm like, when people do that to me, I'm like, are you, are you looking for dialogue? Like, I'm not, I'm not sure what's supposed to happen here. Like, <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't really know what we're supposed to do when you're trying to convince me that I have it all wrong, um, you know, or that I'm it's, doing it wrong or that I, I have a black heart or I live my life with hate and all the stuff, you know, that people want to say about me, um, you know, and I, and I'm sit there and I'm like, you know, I, this is kind of goes back to what I said before is that I make choices about where I put myself and when I put myself. And yeah. and this is a struggle with, and part of the reason why I, I wrote Media Circus and did my podcast Media Circus was because I want the people whose story that others are consuming to have an opportunity to own it and tell you what they want you to know, not what the media thinks you deserve to hear. And so yeah. half the time we do get half truths. We do get misinterpreted beliefs and opinions. Um, and 
I don't know why we shun the victims and survivors for wanting to speak out and correct the record and be in control of their story because we're the only ones that get chastised for that choice. Not the attorneys, not the law enforcement officials, yeah. not the police, not the DA, not the perpetrator, but it's the victims' families that really come on the harsher side of wanting to speak up, um, which is ass backwards to me. And uh, 100%. and the space of true crime, the podcast space, um, I think hopefully is trying to shift that. But victim stories are still on the back burner way farther than they need to be. And, you know, yes. uh, I, you know, I, I think it's hard for people because they don't want to hear our, our our pain, you know, um, and I'm like, but so many of us are not sitting in the fetal position on the floor. A lot of us are out there doing some great work and we're on the, you know, the healthy plight towards healing. Like, and yes, that comes with tears. That comes with anger. That comes with hostility. It comes with appropriate amounts of Warts. disdain for certain people that have inflicted pain. Like that's all part of the human experience around grief and trauma. Why are we not having that conversation? I'm confused by that. So and I guess I'm in, in a mood today. So you're in a mood. It. No, I love I it. Love this it. is great. No, this I, is great. I, I, yeah. I agree with everything yeah. you're saying. <laughs> yeah. But but this is but these are the real conversations that people just don't they and in something, you know, it's interesting what you just touched upon, which is they don't want to hear the story and maybe it hits close to home. That's exactly it. Because for somebody to look at a true crime case and go, let's just use Charlie Manson, for example, that's just such a crazy level of evil or Jeffrey Dahmer. It's just, it's almost, it's unfathomable to people. Yeah. It is not unfathomable to someone to, to have their sibling murdered in yeah. cold blood. Yeah. That is, that hits really close to home. And I think the way that they detach is by saying, oh, they're different. They're a bad person. So, and it's that's a protection mechanism, right? Yeah. You know, in narcissism, there's the the, the core of, of why somebody is a narcissist is they're really insecure at the at the bottom line, and they've been wounded, so then right. therefore they behave this way. It's a very similar sort of, and I'm not a psychologist or an expert in any sort of <laughs> sense of the word, but I, I I feel that it has a lot in common with that because it's a self protection mechanism for them to be able to detach well, from something that could be very. And and you're and you're you're, you're very very astute in that in that idea. Um, I I also think that we are in um, an age that we are inundated with information, and we are you know like with the twenty four hour news cycle now and social media being what it was. I Me mean, when my brother was killed, it we it was not like this. We court TV and yeah. CNN like we barely were on the scene. You know the internet like you know, it was pre AOL days. I mean, this is like, there was yeah. nothing. So now with the access um, that people have and with so much information and the opportunity for everybody to become a, a, a web sleuth, um, it's it's yeah. out of control and out of it, control. it's out of control. And so I think that in some ways, you know, for me, um, with our case, to it, in some ways, it's it could be positive because people have the opportunity to read what they want and come up with their own conclusions, and and the world is their oyster to believe what they want to believe, and the fact that it was on TV at that time that people could decide for themselves. But we are so desensitized as a society that I think we don't even know how to extend compassion and sympathy to each other because 
all day long. Rape, murder, rape, murder, kidnapping, assault, sexual assault, violence, guns, not like all day long, like traffic, people road rage. Like it's just a constant, constant barrage of crap that I think we don't even know how to consume things from a place of like sorrow and and compassion because just why? Like we don't have enough. Like our compassion tanks are empty, you know? So part of me can be understanding in that regard. um, But my compassion tank, you know, also is on low. So I don't always have the ability to to be okay with someone extending that to me because I'm like, wait a minute, what happened? I just was moseying about my day, you know, and I don't understand. And, um, so I don't, I don't, I don't know what the, what the resolve is other than to keep having conversations so that we can educate people how to consume. Um, I mean, that's kind of been the plight of my, my podcast series was just to educate people. I can't stop you from being obsessed um, yeah. But I can try to educate you on how it feels to be on the receiving end of that obsession, um, to be on the receiving end of having your life be consumed outside of your control. And the reminder that I see, we see all of the tweets and the follows and the likes and the shares and the comments. I see it all just because I don't respond yeah. to it doesn't mean I don't see it and it doesn't sting. So, yeah, well, it's really interesting. You keep mentioning your podcast. I think that when I saw your podcast, I was really inspired. I was like, oh, it's very similar. And I was even talking to Rita Isbell about your podcast because she's on my she, list to call. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Uh, and we were, we were just talking about that. I was like, oh, it's great. You should go on it. Like it's, I really love her platform because Rita is kind of at the point where she's like done talking, but she wants to talk about like moving forward in a sense. And I was like, yeah, Kim's podcast is amazing. I think it would align with what you're doing right now. So, you know, I think what you're doing is incredible. And I'm, I think it's great to talk to other survivors, talk to other people, have these conversations and then put them out there because people then learn from them and then they grow. And the people with empathy will be like, oh, okay, I get it. You know, the narcissist, unfortunately, will never get it. Right. And my, you know, I guess, I guess for me, you know, I, this has been a life, a life journey, you know, I mean, my brother died when I was 22 and, um, you know, I've had to learn how to function and make room for grief. And, um, you know, every day I learn something a little bit different and I have a a son now. And so I have to adjust for him and, and my partner and, you know, I have to adjust for him and just for my own sanity. Um, and I, I just, it's, it's, it's a hard, it's a hard journey and it's a hard road. Um, but, I'm grateful for the opportunity to be able to to speak to it because it's an isolating place often, even though there's a lot of us in this group, um, it's really isolating and, um, you know, it's just hard to, hard to be in that space sometimes and not, and not feel the support of others. So, yeah. And I want to give people a little bit of context about your story if they don't know. Um, would you mind sharing a little bit about your brother and anything you want to share? Um, you sure, about my brother? About, well, no, that's okay. Yeah, who, like, was Ron, like, like, who was Ron? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I don't want to chalk this up to saying something that's trite. Um, so um, I, 
I have spent a long time giving and sharing stories about my childhood with my brother. Um, you know, we were latchkey kids. My dad was a single dad. Um, it was just the three of us growing mm. up. Um, no, you know, not real strong connections with anybody else in our family, blood family. Um, and so I was raised by two really cool men and whether or not that was wonderful for me as a young woman, I don't know. Cause I never learned how to wear skirts <laughs> until you know college. And I didn't know, you know, how to find a bra without my dad's help. I never wore makeup. Like there was oh. lots of things, um, which in hindsight were great because I learned to rely on my, on my inside and, and my core. Um, I learned the value of family and, and commitment and, and loyalty, uh, my brother was my very, very best friend. He took very good care of me. I tell the joke often that my brother allowed me to to follow him around everywhere until I, you know, got infected mosquito bites. My brother used to rub a wall and ask me if I was jealous of the wall because the wall had bigger boobs than I did. And so when I <laughs> that's awesome sibling stuff. Um, but when I started to develop a little bit, my brother didn't want me around his friends anymore, right? Like he but I was always, you know, his first and foremost priority and um, that didn't change. And so what I want people usually to remember about my brother is exactly who he showed up as in the last couple minutes of his life. There's no other way for me to embody who he was other than to tell you that my brother staying to protect his friend, putting up a valiant fight to save his own life and Nicole's. Um, that's who he was. Like I, he was cocky and arrogant and was insecure and, you know, uh, unsure of what he wanted to do for his life. But what never shifted from his core being is his capacity to love and to care and, and to be a protector. And that's who he was. So any silly stories, you know, I, those are sweet for me. Um, but yeah. that's who he was, you know, I mean, it shows up. I, I Many of us would have run. I mean, I, I, I mean, Tara, you protected yourself and like how are, you know, you protected and, and wanted to, you know, protect your mom and, and her absence. And like, I, you know, I mean, a lot of us have that, that resilience in us. Um, but that's who my brother was. And, um, I'm proud that I was able to share him. Um, I hate it. I hate it, but I'm proud that people get to know him. I'm proud that people get to know my dad. Um, the sweetest, kindest, softest, goofiest, man, I know, um, you know, I got really lucky with those two. So. And apparently your dad's known for his mustache. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, so I have no idea the age range of, of either of you. Um, and it doesn't matter, but, um, a lot of people refer to my dad, um, look, look similar as Raleigh fingers. Um, I remember the mustache. Yeah, the mustache. I, 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 I remember I was impressed by the mustache. Yeah. I was yeah. like, he wears a mustache. Well, yeah. Mr. And my dad, um, you know, he still has it. It's a little shorter now. Um, it's not as long because as he gets older, you lose your hair. Um, but, um, yeah, my dad's never, my dad's only not had a mustache once in his life. Um, and, uh, that was when he was battling cancer when he was, um, when I was a very, very little girl, I only have a memory of being scared of him because his face was not the one I remembered and it startled me. Um, and, he's never not had a mustache. Um, for me, him having his mustache just means he's cancer free. So, yeah. you know, um, but yeah, he's, he's an awesome dude. I love that. Is he live out here in LA as well? Or nope, is he back my dad's in, in Arizona. Uh, he and his oh, wife um, moved to Arizona. Uh, my gosh, a really long time ago, 80 in the 
nine, late nineties, I think. No, late eighties. I don't know what year this oh, was. Oh, so yeah. he's been there forever. Um, yeah, yeah they good. moved um, after the civil case ended. Um, shortly after the civil case ended, so I don't even know when that was. Yeah, can't remember. <laughs> that ended before the trial, correct? No, the civil case was after the criminal case. It, so it was after. Okay, yeah, got it. So the civil case, um, I want to say, is two thousand three. No, that was my son's birth. Shit, I can't remember. So weird. I'm too old to remember all the dates, but yeah. No worries. No, no worries. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Well, I'm Just... really sorry, you know, what happened. Um, but I'm really happy that you're here to talk and share and spread awareness and talk about something that's so hard. Well, I appreciate that. I mean, I I I don't always know what the message is or what people need to hear, but I think, um, you know, just having open dialogue and honest dialogue about the, what this experience is like. And, you know, you guys, I would imagine, understand that from the people that you talk to and, and what seems to be the prevailing message is one of usually hope and understanding. Yeah. Um, yeah. So... Yeah, no, and to be honest, this interview is a little different because normally we have like someone share the story and but like this case is, you know, a lot of people know about it, but it's important to know what you went through and the last moments about your brother, because I think those are the important factors in this conversation opposed to like going through the entire story in that sense. And you've gone through the story probably enough. (laughs) Well, I mean, I, for me, you know, it, 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 I don't know what there is to tell, you know, I mean, I, if, if there's younger listeners, you know, they have the benefit of being able to search the internet. My only suggestion would be is to, to, you know, I could probably list a couple of documentaries that are worth watching, but most of it's crap, you know, I mean, most of it is just one person's spin, um, one person's opinion. It, you know, there's a lot of, um, uh, you know, creative uh, licensing that goes on in some of the shows yeah, that are, yep. are made. Um, and so <laughs> I would suggest that you take it with a grain of salt and, you know, consider the source. Um, not everything you read or hear is true. <laughs> um, why Why is that, though? Why is that that people, <laughs> people have a way to discern that, like, the Avengers is not a real thing that occurs? But when it comes to something else, a story like this being, you know, fantasized or, or fanaticized on television and romanticized or glorified that they can't see the difference and go, yeah, they probably took some creative liberty there. Like, yeah. maybe there are a couple of facts, but then the rest is just conjecture, guys. Yeah, and I, and I don't know. I mean, I think that, you know, f- for us that that showed up, um, you know, in the Ryan Murphy um, uh, American American Horror Story, American Crime Story, uh, American American American. People versus What's His Face. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know that showed up for us in that because you know that was based on a book um, uh, of a reporter uh, and his own spin, and it was based on quote unquote client attorney conversations. And so I don't know how they managed that. Um, because where did that information come from? So then you watch it and you're like, well, how much of that is really legit? Because wasn't that supposed to be confidential, that conversation? So did we make that up? I, I don't, I don't even know when I would lived it. So, you know, the, the dramatization, um, 
you know, I, I, I wish people would know that. I mean, it's actually something I'm working on um, that I, I, I don't want to share just yet, but it is something that I'm working on to try to curb some of that mis- misinformation um, to, to try to maybe um, allow people to understand where information comes from and, and disclaimers and certain things like that, because I think it's, it's just, it's ridiculous. And um it's unnecessary when you have yeah. the people that can tell you the actual story. What's the, why do you have to then go and make a drama out of it? I don't, or if you do, the people that were directly impacted should be involved in the process so that you yeah. do get more of the story. It doesn't have to be any more dramatic than, than it already is. Like, I don't know why we have to conjure up new drama and new moments and, and falsehoods to make something that's so painful, more dramatic. Like what, what's your mission and your goal? If that's your intention, I just don't, maybe you shouldn't be doing it then. <laughs> like, yeah. If there's not enough drama, maybe move on <laughs> to something else. Like, I don't know. Yeah. So it's pretty dramatic as it exists. That's what, that's what I'm saying. So I just, I feel like, you know, and again, I can't change that. Um, there is just so much information and, and it's tiring for people to have to spend hours trying to read through things to get one nugget of truth. And, yeah. you know, we're not, taught. I mean, again, I, I, I'm not age range. Like I was raised, you know, three, three local stations and it was, you know, Dan Rather, yeah. Tom Brokaw, like the Walter Cronkite, like they, they were not going to lie to me, you know, yeah. and everything they say is not my head in compliance. Right. They don't lie. And, and now you're like, wow, people do lie. People do make crap up. Oh my gosh. People, I yeah. And there's no, <laughs> so, there's no accountability anymore. Yeah. It's just really yeah. It fuels distrust and uh, that's a larger yeah. <laughs> geopolitical yeah. socioeconomic conversation, yeah. I feel. But yeah, <clears throat> you mentioned something earlier. You said there are, you know, most of it's crap, but are there any documentaries or anything that anyone has done about this particular subject that you say, if you want sort of the straight sh- shot here, here's, here's there something. Was, yeah, there was one. And of course, in this exact moment that I said it, I can't remember, but it won an Academy Award. Um, it was a three-part, three-night series. Um, then Ezra, Ezra, oh my God, Ezra something. I'm sorry, Ezra. Um, it was very good. I cannot remember in this moment. It's on Hulu, I think. Uh, well, there's a couple. Well, there's like 30 for well, 30. Hulu has four. <laughs> Okay. So yeah, I, I, well, there's a couple, um, there was like 30 for 30 that ESPN did. Um, okay. that was actually pretty good, but this other one, and maybe that was the Ezra one. I don't know. I'll, I am sorry. I know this is like terrible okay. for production, no, you're value, good. but I can't remember. You can put it in the show notes when I send it to you. Yes. Um, but I, there, there are a couple and I'm happy to send them along. Um, but I don't, I, I, I used to watch every possible thing there was because I didn't want to be in the dark about anything. And I hated not knowing yeah. what was being said because what would happen is my phone would start to blow up and with comment, I'm like, wait, what's happening? Something must've dropped because something's happening and I'm getting a bunch of inquiries. Yep. And, and so I never like to not see things, but I can't, I can't keep up to be honest with you. And I don't want to watch things that I know are rooted in, in, falsehoods there's you know there's movies um this private investigators convinced that just jason did it and so he w- wrote a book and now he's trying to sell that and i'm like there's no friggin' evidence there's nothing but i no interest in watching that like you know i don't go off on those tangents that try to find killers and every other you know vessel of our country other than the one that's living in las vegas like i'm not interested in that um 
I'm not interested in shows that bash the the district attorney. Like that doesn't, I don't want to do that. Shows that they're negative about my brother. Um, I'm not going to do that or Nicole um, because that's all out there too. So I just, it's, people don't care. They're just out to make a buck. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And they don't examine, you know, and you mentioned Rita Isabel earlier, we were talking about, you know, you, you know who Ryan Murphy is, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> uh, and just, you know, she, she was portrayed in that Dahmer series because of her very powerful victim in victims impact statement. Right. And the amount of people that reach out to her and say the worst and most horrific things to this woman. I think a lot of people don't understand when, when these shows are made and when these things take place, now it's so easy to pick up this, you know, handheld device here and, and, and go, Oh, Kim Goldman. Where, oh, and now we can go send her messages on Facebook and Twitter and this and that and troll everything or yeah. Tara Newell or call your Landry. And there, there's no barrier to that. Right. But yet other people are profiting. And, and the only reason that that story is out for people that want to lead a regular, you know, a, a very private life is now out because somebody exposed who they were. And now they have to deal with that aftermath. They need therapy. They need, there's no, yeah. There's, Ryan Murphy isn't knocking on her door saying, <laughs> can I pay for some protection for you? Can we, can we get you some therapy? Can we, uh, can we take the heat? No, of course not. They just, take their $380 million Netflix deal and, and make more content exploiting, exploiting more people. And it's not to say that there's, you know, to put down the artists or anything or people that participate in this, but there, there needs to be some real, there needs to be some, you know, in Hollywood, if you write a script, you get paid, you write a book, somebody takes your book, they option it, you get paid for that story. There's nothing like that in true crime. They can just take your story and do this. And then they're like, yeah, you can just figure it out later you know and well, and that's you, feels you're, very you're, you're bringing up something that we can talk about when we're not recording that you guys would be perfect <laughs> to to collaborate with me on so um it it's it it's gross <laughs> like yeah, yeah and you know and and then there comes the point of like okay well i understand people are curious i i under i understand the need for sure. content i understand the need to be create i i totally get it that's where my brain yes totally get it there just has to be somewhere between the brain and the heart that we find a happy medium so that the content creator gets what they need and the people's whose story they're telling get their needs met. And I'm not talking about financial. I just mean like what you're saying, the, the emotional support, the whatever it's going to be. And I just don't think that people are caring or thinking about that. I mean, Rita as hard. I, I mean, I literally have been trying to find Rita for a very long time. I, I've been searching high and low for her. She did a very good job of keeping her life private. She and did. I respect that, right? I finally found someone that was like I'm, I, uh, a reporter who wrote a really beautiful article about her. And I sent the reporter and I said, listen, I can you please just tell Rita, I, I have something I want to talk to her about. Here's my information. Just please, like, I'm not asking you to give it to me. And then she wrote me back finally. And she's like, Rita told me that you can contact her. I'm like, oh, thank you. Like, I I mean, I I respect <laughs> the process, you know, like, yeah. but I, I, I just, it's like when you want to find privacy and the world decides that they don't really care. And Rita, I'm assuming I'm making it up. She's sitting on her couch and all of a sudden across the Netflix screen comes the Dahmer special, right? Like 
that happened. I have a a very dear friend of mine who is a survivor of um, Richard Ramirez. And um, so that was similar to her experience. She was texting me late at night. She's like, oh my God, what am what's happening? There's, and then Netflix had a new Night Stalker show and how much, and she was getting inundated, right? Because she had no idea and her, she's in it and, you know, and like, there's no warning. They don't even give you a heads up. Nothing. There's, no heads, there's, no, they, there's not even a heads up. That's Nothing. Not, Nothing. not like a, hey, we made this thing. It's going to come out just a heads up. Right. And None so, of it. And that's what I'm saying. So like when people say, oh, just get over it. Like just, you know, you just move on to something else. I'm like, do you know how many streaming services there are and how many places people put free content on the internet and the interwebs? I don't, it's everywhere and no one I'm, I'm totally unprotected by it. And so I think, you know, I, again, I can't change the fact that it's out there. I may be able to do something about how it is delivered or consumed. And so, um, you know, who the heck knows who the heck knows. Right. Yeah. So how do you guys all day? I know. Um, how do you guys manage to balance um, your trauma and the work that you do with staying afloat and 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 putting your health, your mental health as a top priority? What do you guys do for self-care? I'm going to be honest. <laughs> Not enough of it for my, my own, <laughs> that's for sure. My mom kind of financially supports me with some stuff. Yeah. Um. But like our situation's a bit complicated because it was like her husband and um I like, you know, I don't blame her for what happened, but I need a little support. I wouldn't have met him if it wasn't for her in a sense, you know? Yeah. No, I mean emotional support. So you guys are yeah. you guys are in this space where this is what you're doing and how do you where do you, where's your respite from it? Like Oh, yeah. survivor squad i do yeah. true crime meetups too yeah um and it's just like we all get together talk like you know if people want to like do promotional stuff and like i'll like tell them oh like this person's down to connect with like this stuff her story's interesting you know or like whatever but i literally i've just reached out to survivors and kind of cultivated this space for all of us and I like my best friends are survivors when honestly, before all this, they used to be toxic people. Like yeah. my friends used to be toxic people that wanted to party, that wanted to do drugs, you know, do all that stuff. And I was living in these toxic cycles and I wasn't doing good things for my healing until I met my survivor group, until I started standing on my own, being independent and being like, okay, I need a group that's going to support me, a group that's going to help me go forward. And I also do yoga teacher training that helped. I have Mm -hmm. a tribe that way. And so many people have stories out there. And everyone you talk to has this journey they've gone through. Right. So I'm like, okay, you meet people and you get to know their journey and you support each other through that journey. And like, you're, you know, you're now a part of our family and our survivor squad. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. For me, it was much different. Uh, I left, you know, I, uh, I dove into the arts. That was my thing. And I, dropped out of, you know, I grew up in the town where everything happened. And then I, all I wanted to do was get out. I was Mm -hmm. like, I want to get away from this. And I, 
Uh, I went to music school for a couple of years. I dropped out and then I said, I'm moving to Los Angeles. And I, I said, I'm going to do something with this. I wanted to go to a place where no one knew who I was. $2,000 maybe in my pocket. Said, I'm just going to come out here and not know a single person and make it. And I got into the film business. I worked as a model for years and I got into the film business. And then I, with the intent of, I'm going to do something with this story. And I made a film called A Murder in Mansfield, which came out, you know, 2019 okay. and uh, directed by two-time Oscar winner Barbara Koppel. And then I started <laughs> pod, I started podcasting because I was speaking and traveling around the world with the film. And I was like, I, you know, then we have the pandemic and I'm like, I'm going to do a podcast. And then it wasn't until last year that I met Tara when I interviewed her on my show, which right. at the time was called Moving Past Murder. Now it's called Moving Past Trauma. But we... um and then I connected in this whole survivor space. Yeah. For me, it was always the arts was using and creating to to do something with, like give that purpose for me. That was how I how I healed. Right. But that and physical exercise is a big part of my regimen. But you know, sometimes I just, you know, I burn the candle at both ends. I was up at up till two, woke up at six, editing project right before yeah. uh, all of this, and then it, I'll get back to doing that, and then. Uh, doing shows and things, but it's um, it's tough. It's a tough, hard. It's a hard road to hoe. Do you ever want to put it down, either of you? <laughs> I was just telling Collier, I'm like, I'm. I think I'm done talking about my story. I'm done. I'm. I'm just. I'm fucking done. I'm like, I don't. I don't want to keep reliving certain elements of my story. You know, right? And there's always certain interviews where people like are like okay take me through the attack where i'm totally fine doing interviews where people are like don't take me through your attack what is the healing process like you know right, yeah. i right. love those conversations right and then people there's a part where we talk about the hospital and i literally like i'm on edge now and i'm in fight mode so much because i'm like i don't want to keep going through that and i'm sorry i'm getting emotional I've just done like five interviews like last week yeah. or like within two weeks. And so like, it's like, I don't want to keep going through it. I don't want to like, and each time I do remember stuff yeah. and I don't want to keep remembering killing someone. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. I think for me, I'm all, what keeps me going is telling the story is tough, but it's always, I look at it, I step back from it and go, how can I, repurpose this into something else that's new and interesting to me you know, yeah. and then therefore has a creative twist that will re-inspire me and reinvigorate me to do something else with this material right and to use it to help others in a way that or reach an audience that might not be receptive to true crime but is definitely into tra traumatic healing or maybe is into our narcissism or things of that nature my father was a narcissist and, and a psychopath or maybe is inter interested in mental health right and learning how to overcome challenges in their life and not letting that be the thing that defines them in what they do but rather the thing that is the impetus for doing what they do yeah <laughs> and those things i think are are how i really process it continually i just throw it right back in the blender and say let's mix this up let's see what we gotta get again let's roll the dice again let's see what happens but it's it's a tremendous amount of work to get there because it's yeah. just exhausting. Yeah. Especially when you're trying to sustain yourself too, which you know about. It's, yeah. It's, yeah. It's I also think that, um, 
you know, when, when, when people know what you're known for, um, it's really hard to break free from that. I mean, a kind of full circle to what we talked about at the beginning. Um, you know, it is hard because that's what people want to talk to you about. And I, for me, and I, I hear what you're saying, Terry, that they always want to talk about the attack and it's the same thing. Like I Google it, dude. Like I, <laughs> I, I am worth so much more than a couple of salacious details that you already know, but you want sound bites for. And part of my podcast for Media Circus, there was a there was a, a struggle, um, you know, with production, um, upper <gasps> echelons of production that really wanted me to rehash every story, and I was like. There's no need. That's these are high profile stories. So you already know the story. I want to a couple of minutes, you know, to get you updated, to get you through like the like the very first day of how you know somebody, and then we're now like here you are today, right? And and that was a hard concept because everybody is used to living in that salacious, exploitive space. That it's really hard to do the work that you're doing and that I'm trying to do, which is the the moving forward part, like. Yeah, I'm moving through it, right? Like every day I'm it's an active choice to move through it. And I want to talk about what that process looks like because that's what most of us that are out here living this are actually doing. We're not living in a space all day long of just reliving the all day long. Like that's that's and that's how the TV presents us. And so if we're not willing to have conversations about what happens in the aftermath and what happens and whether or not you are still living in your trauma, that's totally acceptable. And it could be three years, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years that I'm still having traumatic moments because, hey, guess what? That's how this works. Like it's messy and it's ugly and it's uncomfortable. And that's the real story that we should be having because the salacious details lasted for the amount of minutes that it happened, right? And yes, yes. this is a lifelong process. And I can appreciate the need to set the stage, for example, and set the storyline of why we're even having this. But then my God, give me some credit and me, the collective me, that I'm more than that. Like I am I am more than my brother's sister, you know, like and and that's fantastic. But I have I'm evolving. <laughs> to be Kim, you know? And yeah, I think that, um, yeah. you know, to, so, and it's, is an odd conversation that I had. I had Amanda Knox on, on my podcast and, you know, that came with a lot of, um, controversy around it. And she really kind of lit me up a little bit in the best way, because she's like, I'm in control of the story that I, that I want to tell you. I'm like, no, that's why you're here. Because that's the whole purpose of this is I want you to tell me what you want me to let's have your conversation. I, yeah. I don't have questions. Like, I want to have the conversation that you want us to have because you are not able to do that. So yeah, that's where I'm at, Tara. That's where it sounds like you're at. And you don't owe anybody your time to tell the story that they want to be told. So get up and walk away, turn the camera off, be done, own your stuff. You know, like that's yeah. where I'm at. And people, I appreciate on, on your questionnaire, you asked, is there anything I don't want to talk about? I'm open to everything until I'm not. And I'm happy to tell you, no, thank you. I'm not going to yeah. go yeah. about that. Yeah. And, you know, when I had guests on my show, you know, I did the same thing. Like, I'm going to ask things. If anything, I breach a topic that you're like, I don't want to talk about that. I want you to tell me why you don't want to talk about it, because I want people to understand why you are protecting that part of your story and part of your life and why someone doesn't have the right 
to have all of your information. To know that. To know yeah. that. <laughs> they and don't. So, and that's what happens. So if we don't tell something, then that's where the rumors start, right? That's where the perception gets shifted. And so owning the why I don't want to discuss something is really powerful. And that was awesome for me that's to have great. that opportunity with people that I was speaking to because you know, I knew going in that there may not have been something. And I said, well, I'm going to ask you anyway, because I want you to tell me what you just said, which is blah, 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 you know? And, and because I think that's really important for them to own their voice and to take back the control of their story, whether it's in trauma or any, any situation that you find yourself in, but yeah. I mean, God, Amanda's a polarizing figure, isn't she? she we, we had her on the show. And then when people, we mentioned them, people are like, she didn't, I'm like, are you? You you talk about people that have absolutely no clue. Like yeah. I find her her people that come after her are, the, are some of the worst. Yeah, honestly. Yeah, she was. She really. <laughs> you know, she she intimidated me in the best possible way, and um, and it's what I wanted. Like I I was really glad to have a conversation that was really about the exact thing that I wanted to have a conversation about, and it didn't get caught up in all the stuff. And she was, you know, like. Just she she knew exactly how she wanted and she kept telling me she's like I'm in charge of this and I said hell yeah girl go like I, <laughs> I, that's the whole purpose is that yeah. I wanted you to be in charge you know and yeah. she wrote that great piece for the Atlantic mm -hmm. like everyone knows who Amanda Knox is everyone who wants to tell me who Amanda Knox is right. but I'm just yeah I just hurt I mean oh I heard like there uh, yeah, I follow her on Twitter and then I'll see people that respond to her yeah. I'm just like who are you are you a person yeah. But like you, you can leave the room. How do you room. say this? Yeah. How do you say this to someone <laughs> yeah. sitting behind your computer? But I think the, I, I think to get back to you know Amanda's a, a you know she's had to really strap her you know boots on and and you know go head first and she too chooses when she wants to do things and when she doesn't because what's the value and she you know and I talked she and I talked about like if there's no value to her to participate, she doesn't do it. She's like, I don't need to help your ratings. I don't need to help sell your show. If it doesn't give me value, I'm not coming. And that's where I'm at at this point. Like I had I had someone reach out to me for a podcast um, and the, it doesn't matter what the name is and I can repeat it. But the email was, um, we're reaching out to see if you wanna be a guest um, because you have interest in the OJ Simpson trial and, <laughs> the, myst and the mystery around it. I was like, oh what? my God, oh my God. Like, all right, let me see, you know, crack my knuckles. How am I going to handle this? And I wrote back and I said, I'm going to politely decline. I said, but I would just like you to be a little bit more mindful when you were trying to solicit guests for your future shows. Um, writing to the victim sister of the story that you're wanting to talk about and telling me that I have interest in it and the mystery around it might be a little off-putting. And so I would suggest that maybe you rephrase that. And I gave him like a sentence of how you could say it <laughs> that wouldn't be as insulting <laughs> as the way that it was sent to me. And he wrote back and he said, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I had no idea who you were when I sent the email. I'm like, hmm. So then I maybe you, say you wrote should back do and said, some GPT research <laughs> before. <laughs> Let's just start this all over again. Podcast interviewing 101. Like, and I I mean, it really was kind of endearing because I'm like, okay, maybe this is a young kid. I don't know. Oh but like, God. dude, you know, and I, but I was you like, might. I got to own my, like, I got to own it here, you know? And I'm not an asshole about it, but I was like, I don't need to do this. This is definitely not my people. There's nothing to gain here except maybe to educate this person on a little bit of kindness and sensitivity. But 
I'm at this stage now where my time is really valuable and I'm not talking about financial, but my, my emotional time is really valuable. And if there's no benefit and it doesn't serve me, I don't, I don't want to participate. I don't, I get emails now it's, you know, the 30 year coming up on the 30 year and boy, are the emails coming in about the, all the specials that they're having. I'm like, why, what, what what are we doing? What, what are we doing? Oh, it's five year, 10 year, 15 year, 20 year, 25, 30 year. I didn't. See, I didn't even like research that in a sense. I was just like, I heard you were a good person. You're amazing. (laughs) Then I went and did like, you know, I went and researched you a little bit, then contacted you. Then I I went and I listened to your book. I bought uh, the other, uh, I need to buy the Media Circus one now to support you as well. And everybody else should too. Uh, (laughs) There will be a link in the show notes to today's episode. (laughs) But like, that's how you like support survivors. And I also wanted to get your tone of things because I, you know, in the book, you don't refer to this person by their name. You refer to them what they are, a killer, you know? And so it's important to even get that dialogue in a sense, because I don't want to say anything that would be like triggering to you right right off the bat. And I appreciate that. I mean, I did the same with both of you. I had a general knowledge, but at some point, like I want to know you from what you are sharing and what you want me to know. Right. Like, and that's all that I ever, I don't need anybody. And I appreciate the time that you spend doing that, but I, I'm who I am, but for someone to send me a message, not even know that what my relation is to the topic and to say that you you have some general interest in this is really just like unbelievable. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> so like I don't know. I mean, I don't need anybody to speak the language that I do. I don't need anybody to refer to the killer the same way that I do. This is this is my thing. I'm totally okay with it. Um, but you know, I just I'm I'm too old um at this point and I've been around the block long enough to understand what I'm willing to do and what I'm not. And I'm not happy and I'll sign off like, no, thank you. I'm done. Like, you'll know pretty quickly whether or not, you know, I'm interested in continuing a conversation and and whether or not I think it's helpful because I don't need to keep regurgitating. It's not nobody. Nobody cares. I mean, some people do, but nobody that I want to engage in. Yeah. And and you know what? And that, that, you know, it's just, it comes, that comes with a, with confidence and, and just being in this for a really long time that, you know, I just, I don't, I, if it doesn't serve me, it, I, there's no purpose. Like, I'm not going to give you my best yeah. self if I don't feel like I'm getting something from it. And I'm not, again, talking about financial, like I'm talking about like movement, you know, healthy, restorative yeah. movement, you know? So yeah. Yeah. Anyhow. Stuff that we should uh-huh. all take note on. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> there you go. Self-care. Wow. Uh-huh. Yeah. Wow. I feel like we could get into this for hours to be honest, but I feel like we might need to wrap up this episode because we're getting onto the hour mark. But uh, what is one last thing you want people to know about your story and know about you or just know about anything? I want people to take away that um, we are resilient. I have my tattoo is resilient, um, that we are resilient nice. people. We we still can find joy and humor and laughter and love and kindness and warmth in the world despite having a part of our life that is dark and ugly and horrific. Um, that there is beauty in grief. There is beauty in loss. And um, 
if you're open to hearing it, I think people could really learn a lot how to be a more compassionate human in the world when you find yourself in contact with people that are struggling. And um, yes, yeah, that's absolutely. That's I love that. Yeah. Well, where can we find your podcast, your book, you on social media? Yep. Social media. Um, as long as I don't know how long I'm going to be on Twitter for, because it's a crazy place over there for a while. Um, but all my social media is Kim E. Goldman. Um, uh, my website is KimberlyGoldman.com. And on those places, my my podcasts are available on all the platforms. Um, so I don't know, wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm not very good at promoting, but Media Circus is fantastic. Um, the book is really great. and the And the podcast is an extension of the book, which is taking people behind the scenes of high profile cases and really letting you into the stories of people that are the most impacted and letting them tell you stories that they want you to know. So I'm really proud of it. I love that. Yeah. It's wonderful. Well, I always say to Tara, we're all a part of a squad that no one really wants to be a part of, but we're all a part of the survivor squad. So Kim Goldman, thank you so much for joining the program. Thank you both. You know, I can remember her father in the trial because he had that big bushy mustache. And that was like one of the most iconic things, right? I got to be honest with you. When OJ finally got caught in that whole debacle, that whole fiasco oh. in Las Vegas over the sports memorabilia and they threw the brook at him and he went to prison. <laughs> I, I say that's happy. pretty much karma, right? I was happy. I, I'm not going to lie. I didn't shed a tear. I just remember how indignant he was during the trial and afterwards. And I remember, I just remember thinking, you know, after reading that article in Esquire magazine about him saying, you know, I'm going to get it all back in spades. The way that the narrative shifted to really get to this sort of, I think this, this case was the original one where it was like blame the victim, which was just so vicious in the media and the obsession and the conjecture but I remember him saying that, and I just thought, how can you be so obtuse? Wait, what's obtuse? Well, obtuse would mean you know, that someone who is just dumb to the facts, blind. He, he was obtuse. He was indignant. He was just, he was somebody who didn't quite understand the gravity of, or he did. <laughs> and okay. he was just blind to the fact of that, what he was saying and his behavior was very insensitive. He was just insensitive to all of it. It was all about him. It was all about his emotions and what he went through, not what could have happened to his his you know his former wife, this innocent person, you know Ronald Goldman. It, it just was really. Ugh. Yeah, I, I agree. I like that word for him. It, yeah, he's it's definitely fitting. obtuse, obtuse yes. indignant. But you know, he ended up getting convicted on those charges in in Las Vegas, and. Uh, yeah, I would, I would venture thank to you, guess. Lord. I would venture to guess that uh, O.J. Simpson has not led the life that he. I mean, he definitely fell from grace, that's for sure. But I'm so glad that Kim could come on and share, so people could see the story behind the media frenzy, the way it was sensationalized by yeah. the media. You know, when people are talking about this lawsuit and how, oh, they made all this money and realize that that's not the case. They they didn't get that. I think a lot of people think that because you a television show made about you or you sell books or anything that this is somehow survivors of these violent crimes have somehow just made all this money by being on television. And it's just not the case. It's just not true. No, many it's people really have made not. money around these stories, but 
but not the person that is directly affected, unfortunately. I agree 100%. And I think that it's really great that she has a podcast called The Media Circus, that she has other survivors on as well, because this is really how we make the change present in true crime, is having these conversations with other survivors. And I'm so fortunate to have the conversation with her today because I'm so thankful to learn from her voice. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, as I as I always say, we're all part of a squad that no one really wants to be a part of, but we're all a part of the Survivor Squad. Until next time, Survivors, I'm Tara Newell. And I'm Collier Landry. And this is the Survivor Squad Podcast. We'll see you guys. See ya. Bye. The Survivor Squad podcast is made possible by support from listeners just like you. Please subscribe via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. And please consider supporting this program by visiting our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash Survivor Squad.